Welcome to this new VVV podcast episode, covering the most recent town hall. All right, welcome everyone. And today we're going to have a couple of updates. First of all, we're going to cover the elephant in the room, FTX, and the status of our own investments and of our partners and we have some good news and we have some lessons to be learned we haven't heard yet back yet from everyone but so far it has not been as bad as it could have been so that has been a relief and while we wait and this is for everyone also the ones listening to the recording please be sure to leave a retweet leave a like our spaces event and then please go to our profile on twitter and then on the very top you will see that we now have a newsletter and jen and andrea have put in a tremendous amount of work to curate the newsletter itself but also the content and everything around it so we would be very very appreciative if you guys would be signing up for the newsletter and also show some love for Andrea and Jen in the comments. They both have done a tremendous job for VVV, not just with the newsletter, but everything leading up, you know, from our inception to today. They have pretty much provided 99% of the work on the website, on the content of um, the website itself. And they've, they've really done an absolutely tremendous job and they, they are the, um, you know, the pinnacle of women in crypto. I mean, they outperform any man any day of the week. These, these two are like literal sharks and super high performers. And with that being said, let's jump right into the big topic, FTX and projects losing money, going bankrupt. And we will start with the good news first. So, so far, I have heard back from Mavia, Orki, Peak, and let me just double check who else. Yeah, from these three projects I have heard back, uh, they have not been affected by the FTX fallout. So these guys are fine. They have been smarter than keeping their funds on an exchange. From Snickerdoodle, I haven't heard back yet, but I'm waiting to hear back and we will see how it's going for them. Now, the big lesson to be learned is from the project called Obscuro, which is one of our investments, which we made. And luckily we only raised a very conservative amount for Obscuro. And um, you will now also see why. So, and I have to give credit to Obscura for being transparent, but it still does not resolve the issue of what has happened. And it also doesn't change my opinion. It, it just makes me slightly less, less brutal in outlining it. But I posted this on my personal Twitter, Twitter profile a couple of days ago, and it's my... You know, it's my point of view that 
if you go out there and you raise millions and millions of dollars, then you have a fiduciary responsibility towards your investors and your stakeholders. And what you cannot do is put all, like literally almost all the money in one place and not do your due diligence and just trust someone else with the money for them to take care of your funds and then be left in awe when something happens. And unfortunately, that's the case with Obscuro. In total, I believe they had, I don't, I don't believe I actually have the email in front of me. So in total, they had $4 million, had in, in total, they had $4 million liquid. They had in their bank account, and this is again with one single bank, which is not ideal. In one single bank account, they had about $1.3 million. So that's what they still have liquid. Now, the bad news is they had almost $3 million on FTX. And as you can imagine, those $3 million are gone. So now we have a project who initially had $4 million and now they have $1.2 million. And that has cut their runway very short. They sent me an email and they told us that their runway will last until March 2023, which is a very short time. And now the question obviously is, what are they going to do? And is there any means for them to recover? And I, I don't know, but I personally doubt it. You know, $3 million is a heavy hit if you have... Um, excuse me, they got the math wrong. So they have, they had like $4.5 million and they, they lost like 3.5 of it, right? And that's obviously cutting funds extremely short and that's going to make it very difficult to do business going forward and to also do business at the level as they had planned initially. And this is something which is going to, which is going to pose a big problem to those projects individually, but will also grow to another issue for the space as a whole, cumulatively. Meaning these projects who have been affected by FTX, not all of them are going to be as transparent as Obscuro. So these are, these, you know, I have to give them credit for being transparent. They, they have been extremely careless and I also have to use the word stupid with how they stored the money because doing like putting it on an exchange is like crypto 101. And if you plan to build something on the blockchain, you have to understand the concept of ownership. And you can also not just go ahead and ignore that core concept of the blockchain and then decide not to use it, even though you want to build the future on the blockchain. That does, doesn't make any sense. And we sent them our funds on chain. I didn't do a wire transfer or whatever. I sent them the money to a regular wallet and they decided to put it into an exchange. And now it's their responsibility. And in my opinion, these guys should be held accountable for losing their investors' money. And, you know, in the worst case, some of these guys should go to jail for losing everything because they have definitely and obviously ignored the fiduciary responsibility. The sad part is most of the guys in the crypto space don't even know how to spell fiduciary. So we're going to be hard-pressed to hold anyone accountable. But now coming back to the issue, which I want to outline... Now we have a bunch of projects 
on the verge of bankruptcy and with very, very short runway. And not all of them are going to disclose exactly how much money they lost. So there's going to be a bunch around who maybe lost all of the money or, you know, a few who only lost 80% of their money and can pretend for a few more months that everything is fine. So what's then going to happen in the future is that these projects who have run out of liquidity, they will probably try to raise more money and then to do that in the best way possible is probably to go ahead and lie and not tell everyone that you lost all the money already. So, you know, the, the mathematically logical thing to do is just double your valuation and just raise, you know, double the amount of money you lost, right? So it's going to be interesting going forward. Um, and yeah, I was rather pessimistic, but luckily we had Niels from Orki dropping into our server today and he shared some of his wisdom and I also immediately jumped on the opportunity and asked him for another AMA with Orki because they had some really, really interesting developments. But his point of view is also super refreshing. And I think it's something which is very important to share. So he sees the chaos in the space currently as a big opportunity for growth. And I was skeptical about what happened because I, I saw projects running out of funds and then employees as a result of that becoming unemployed as something which could potentially hold the, the, the space as a hold back as a whole back for a few months or potentially even years. But Orki made a very logical and sound argument. So all those projects who didn't have the foresight or expertise or just common sense to not store the funds on a corrupt exchange, they are now out of money and they're going to lose all of the employees, right? And now all of these and many of these top tier employees are without a job and they're looking for better opportunities. And now the smart projects, they are still left, right? The, the ones with common sense and the, one with enough, the ones with enough foresight, they still have all their money and they are also ready to either raise more money or deploy the money which they have on the sidelines. And now you have more talent on the market. So now all the proper employees of those projects who are highly qualified, they are now looking for a new position to work in. And some of, these per some, some of these people initially were almost impossible to even approach and you couldn't even you know, get a hold of them yet, yet alone convince them to try another project. But now they, these guys are unemployed, right? So Niels, for example, can just go out there and pick and choose the cream of the crop of engineers and stock up on employees for Orki and pretty much speed up the development and the progress which they are making. And to me, this, you know, again, underlines the gut feeling I initially had about Niels. I spoke to him once and to me, it was very obvious right away that he's a genius and that I want to be a part of Orki as an investor. And he has continuously underlined and proven that that was a warranted feeling. And I'm, I'm incredibly satisfied and also motivated to hear his point of view because I think it's for once the only way to approach this if you look at what happened from a pessimistic point of view then that's not going to help anyone 
But if you look at it from an opportunistic and bullish point of view, then you can actually make something out of it and you can use what happened to your advantage. And the same is true for VVV, for example. So we are more or less competing with all the other VCs out there, right? And to be honest, what better could have happened than so many of the other VCs just going bankrupt and disappearing? You know, it, it's pretty much just killing the competition uh, without us having to do anything. So it's just going to make the competition easier for us because we as a, as a community, uh, we as investors, we haven't been affected by the, by the FT, FTX outfall in any way shape, man, or form. The only backlash, in quotes, which we have is from the obscure investment, and that was only a $125,000 ticket where we have been conservative to begin with, so it, it's not like it's going to kill us or it's going to have an uh, immense negative impact. It's, I think it, it's very... It's not good that it, that it has happened, but if you look at it from, a, you know, from the perspective of making it useful, I think it's very good as a lesson to always be careful. Even if you fall in love with a specific project, you still want to be observant with what happens and how they act and you know, seeing something. And if I had known before that they would, have, you know, that they would go ahead and store all the money on exchange, then we would, wouldn't have done the deal right. But you assume that the projects in which you invest in have at least some common sense if they want to build on the blockchain. But it's a different different story. So now we will see how it plays out. I have very little faith that Obscura can recover. I think they made an immense mistake uh, by treating their investors' money this way. And I specifically call it investors' money because if you raise money to build something, then it's not your money. And you should not treat it as carelessly as you might treat your own money. You have a fiduciary responsibility. You may have to make sure that the money is safe and sound. And you cannot just go ahead and act stupidly with the funds you have been entrusted with. And over the course of the past few weeks, I have handled a couple hundred thousand dollars of money as well. And... Luckily, I was going through different exchanges, but even if something would have happened to any of those exchanges, I am smart enough and I have enough foresight that at any point in time, I would have never lost more than 10% of all the money. It's, it's really not difficult to be smart about how you handle funds. And in my opinion, everyone who lost a lot of money with FTX, they do deserve it. And... It goes back to one of the lessons or the, the general sentiment of the VVV Academy, where if you do not deserve to have the money, then you're going to lose it eventually anyways. And most of the people who lost the money have been people who had been lucky, who didn't understand the concept of blockchain, who have no means of ever making the money back. And now obviously everyone is depressed angry or whatever and there's no way to cope with what, with what happened because if you you know you intrinsically know if you made all the money in crypto for example via trading or through the bull run of last year you intrinsically know that you have been lucky and there was no system or plan to how you got the money and now you lost it and now you're 
in a very bad position because you don't know the steps to make the money back. If I or if other of the mentors in the academy would have lost all the money on an exchange, then you know we wouldn't be bothered as much because we do know exactly how to make money and how to make the money back. So, you know, to to someone who is truly successful, it's not that that big of a deal to go broke. And you will see this with many successful people, uh, many of which we study in the academy, is that they indeed had bankruptcies and they went broke and they had some immense and spectacular failures in their lives, but they always recovered because if you are, if you figure out how to be successful, then you're not just going to be successful once, but you can be successful at will. And then whether or not you stay successful is just up to how much risk you continuously take, but it's actually not that difficult to become successful and to hold on to the money which you make if you truly understand the concept of making money and creating cash flows and, and being intelligent with your decision making. And that requires a lot of common sense. And I think the academy is one of the best places to learn common sense, so to speak. I don't think it's something which is taught anywhere else on the planet. And I think it's something which is overlooked and sometimes actively worked against for because people don't actually want you to have common sense because it's someone who has common sense is very difficult to trick into, for example, trusting an exchange with all your money. And as we have heard, FTX made, in a, made it a requirement for some of the investments which they made to store all the money on FTX. And anyone, like literally anyone with even an ounce of common sense they would have sensed that something is wrong. And I thought about this a while and it, you know, it was really clever by FTX, right? Let's say you have a project and you come to FTX to, to raise money, right? They tell you, okay, come, I give you $5 million, okay? But you have to store the $5 million on my exchange, which then means you never really got the money because even if I transfer $5 million on the blockchain to you, the second you transfer to my, my wallet of the exchange, which I, which I own and where I hold the keys to, it's just completely nonsensical. And anyone falling for this, in my opinion, truly deserves the failure because they, they didn't have the capability to be successful in the first place. Like if you cannot even spot something like that, then you're just going to get absolutely demolished in the harsh world of real business. And if you fall for someone like that guy, you know, and if you completely lack any sense of instinct or basic due diligence, I, I don't know what to do. Um, well, with that being said, Christian, let me know in case you're already here. Um, if you are, then please go ahead and request the permissions to speak because I can't see you yet. And yeah, for anyone else listening, what we have happening tomorrow is the Shark Mint and the Shark Mint is going to conduct at 8 p.m. CET on Wednesday, November 16. And you will be able, assuming at the Shark whitelist role, you will be able to try to get a spot to mint. And the way it's going to work is very simple. I'm going to post an announcement exactly at 8 p.m. CET, and it's going to be a link to a form, 
and then you will have pretty much infinite time to complete the form. But whoever completes the first the form first is going to be the first in the queue to mint. And in total, we have two. Uh, me, in total, we have twenty NFTs available. We have about well, we have exactly two hundred nineteen people competing to mint. And those guys with a certain degree of knowledge about VVV and of our values, they will have quite an easy time to pass the test. It, it, you know, it's really just a, a very small hurdle to reward those guys who have stuck around for a very long time, who are very involved with VVV, and it's going to be as a means to filter out maybe someone who doesn't really have the right intentions, someone who just wants to have the NFT to make some profits of the difference to the floor price or whatever. Um, you know, it's not a test which is super difficult or impossible to do, but I think it's going to slow down the ones who don't have the right intentions enough where the guys really deserve it. They're going to come first and they're going to get the NFTs. And the terms are going to be the same as with the phase three mint which is the NFT is going to be auto-staked for 12 months, which then also means you automatically qualify for the airdrop one, you qualify for the guaranteed allocations, and that guaranteed spot is also going to apply for Nillion once we open that up and once we have found a way to do it in a, um, in a way which is compliant with the uh, TSA which we received from them. And well, uh, some, some more big news. So tomorrow, and I, I announced this uh, last week, so tomorrow we are going to have the first public call with the VVV research team. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to have a, a Google Meets meeting with each other. And then I'm going to stream that meeting on Periscope on Twitter. And that's not the ideal well, it's not the ideal way to do anything, but it's the only way to stream video on Twitter. And you can try to tune in live tomorrow. It's going to be at 3 p.m. CET, but the stream is probably going to be subpar and it's probably going to be lagging and it's probably not going to be super enjoyable. So I would encourage you to just wait until the stream is over. And then once the stream is done, you can just listen to the, not just listen, you can watch and listen to the recording and the recording the last time has been super crisp and sharp so i assume that's going to be the same this time as well and then you will have actual faces to me and to the research team you will see how we interact with each other the research team is going to do an introduction of uh, the individual roles you will then know exactly who does what and you will probably have a even better feeling about VVV and how we do business and you know how we look at projects and especially the um, the expertise and the level of professionalism of our researchers and especially the our uh, research leader Andy who has set up the research institute. I think that's going to be extremely refreshing for you guys. And for the space as a whole, because if you look at so many of the other projects out there, you know, they don't show their faces, everything is anonymous. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's the way in which, you know, in which the, the way should, pro, in which the space should progress in, in, the, in the way you are forward. 
And that's also the reason why if you go to our server now, you will see that many of our members have changed their PFPs to actual pictures of themselves. And I would encourage everyone listening to do this as well. I think it makes for a more personalized and more professional environment. And to me, it has been super refreshing to see everyone's face and to actually know who I'm writing with. And it's not just a PFP, which is kind of sad because I don't know how many hundreds of hours I spent on the NFT art, but we will figure out a way where, um, you know, we can use our actual pictures and then have some way of showing off the NFTs, maybe with a banner or something like that. And so going forward, the, the format for most of the AMAs, for the, the calls and the alpha hour sessions, and maybe also for the AMA with Niels, for example, is all going to be video on Twitter. To us as a brand, it's very important to double down on that because the video is going to be able to draw in a bigger audience. It's simply more interesting. And especially on Twitter, it's something which is very different. And then we can also recycle the, the content which we have and we can cut up certain sequences. Our team can extract the golden nuggets or the wisdom of our guests and we can share the content on YouTube Shorts, Instagram, TikTok and what else other platforms are out there. And we can just do a lot more than if we just have audio only. And I think for the sake of judging the integrity and the personality of individual team members or of me as a founder, it's very important to see the face, to see the gestures, to see how someone dresses, if someone is well-groomed, if someone, someone takes care of themselves. All of these can already be red flags um, when it comes to trust and integrity. So I personally pay a lot of attention to this and there's certain character traits and certain things I watch for in someone's appearance or in someone's way in which they carry themselves. And that can be, you know, body composition and also um, the body posture. That's all of these things are giving away a lot about a certain, uh, about a person's value and motivations. And it's, it's something which we're going to discuss very soon in the Academy. Once we open up the psychology Psychology, psychology section and the section about health. And I, I've, um, and the question has come up quite a few times when the shark test is actually going to close. So the shark test is going to stay open for another two or three weeks until we are a lot closer to the mint. And then we are going to close the test and then we are going to reveal the scores of all the individuals. And then we are going to um, go through the individual questions and answers, and you guys are going to have a better understanding of what the test what the test actually looks for and why it is so important and why I put so much emphasis on curating our community through personality tests and not IQ tests, which is something which has come up in the academy as well. And I want to just quickly quickly elaborate on this. So, you know, IQ is useful but it's not something which is mandatory in order to be successful. You don't need to have a high IQ in order to be successful. And a high IQ also doesn't mean that you are a good person or that you share the right values. There's plenty of 
lazy, super intelligent people out there. And there's plenty of malicious, highly intelligent people out there. And I don't want these guys to be sitting in our server. What I want is people with the right mindset, people with integrity and courage, and people who are socially confident and can speak up and people who aim to have success in life in all realms and not just in one, not just aiming to be lucky in crypto and, and keeping your fingers crossed it, that's it, that it's somehow going to fix your life. I want people who have real motivation to become better people as a whole, who ideally already share the same core values and to bring in the right mindset into our community. And for that, we're going to have the psychology section for you guys to understand why that is important. And then also for you as a tool in real life to differentiate between good and bad people. And by good and bad, I mean good and bad for you, for you to be surrounded by these people. And the health section is going to double down on some of the things which I have shared in the past, uh, my diet, my motivations to stay fit, workout routine, and also the, the, the reasoning why it's very, very important to get involved in some sport which is relating to martial arts. And ideally, that's a direct contact sport like boxing, kickboxing, or MMA, and not something where you pull punches or where it's just grappling. Ideally, it is something where you actually can get hit and we can actually can get hurt because the, the truth about life is that life can be very violent at times and if things become violent then that usually happens very spontaneously and it's going to be a surprise and then you have to be able to act quickly and you know about fight or flight and you know there's a certain degree of confidence as a man which you need to have, which you will only get through fighting and by exposing yourself to other people who are physically more capable than you. And that's going to greatly benefit the way you carry yourself in business or around females. It's going to give you a lot of confidence in the way you conduct yourself. And all, you know, all of these things and, and it, sometimes it, it seems so esoteric, but you know, the, the truth really is if you become that person and then you look at someone like the guy, and I just don't want to say the name, you know, I don't want to get canceled or dragged into something else, but like the guy running a famous exchange, you look at a person like that and you see exactly in which realms of life they lack very heavily. And if you see that, and if you see someone who has a lot of catching up to do in certain realms of life, then those weaknesses make a person corrupt. And if you see those weaknesses, you will be a lot more careful when you interact with those people. And it's going to be one of the easiest ways to protect yourself financially and emotionally. Like it's going to be rather, rather difficult for someone to actually go out there and either scam you or to hurt you emotionally. And, you know, I've, since I've been in crypto, I've never, ever been scammed even once. And I've never lost one single dollar. Like the only exception to this is now my investment in Obscuro, right? Um, but other than that, so far, you know, I, I've had a, I took a lot of risk, but I, I've never had any bad outcomes whatsoever. And in my whole life, I haven't 
ever been scanned by anyone or, or anything. So, you know, that awareness is something which is super, super important. And it's also going to be extremely beneficial for your personal relationships. You're not going to fall for someone who has the wrong intentions, who is going to stab you in the back as a friend or who's going to be disloyal in a romantic relationship. You know, those, those character traits are going to be something which is going to make your whole life a lot more enjoyable. And in addition to everything which I've just said and which we have planned and which I've announced, I will also soon make the first announcement for a VVV in real life event. And that's going to be an event in Marbella. It's going to have extremely limited spots. It's going to be expensive, but it's going to be value packed. And there's going to be tangible assets which you will receive by coming and you more likely than not will actually end up making money by coming. But I will share more details um, on that probably next week. And the in real life event is also going to include a couple of special guests. It's going to touch on some of the topics which I already discussed, martial arts, health, psychology, it's going to be super, super interesting. And it's going to be people have helped me, um, you know, become a better leader myself. And I, I, I'm very much feeling a very strong sense of almost a, a duty of having to share those lessons and those values. I think it's one of the most, you know, some of the most powerful lessons I've learned in life is from of the, the people I've met and you know from some of the risks i've taken and i think sharing some of the tangible takeaways and templates for example is going to be super super beneficial for our community and my plan is to have the the entire event um, being videotaped where we can then also cut out certain lessons certain fragments of the event and then um, use them as material for the VVV Academy and to give everyone a better insight into how, how I envision VVV to uh, grow in the future and how important it is to actually expose yourself to people in real life, to not just live an existence in the digital world because it's not going to help you with um, social self-esteem. And social self-esteem is probably the, the most powerful tool you're going to to learn to use in order to have successful business relationships and to have successful um, personal relationships and romantic relationships. So we're going to do a super, super deep dive uh, in the event. And the standards for the event, for the attendees is also going to be very high. There's going to be a certain dress code being required and there's no, there's not going to be any exceptions. People have to dress in a suit and there's going to be attention to detail and I'm going to share the, the, those with the attendees as well because the way you dress also tells a lot about yourself but more important than that if you dress well you also get treated very differently by people and especially if you treat if you start dealing with important people and this includes online as well because if you have an business meeting with one of your clients or with some of your business partners 
if you don't look the part, they're going to treat you very differently. And if you, ha if you have never looked the part, then you don't even know, right? So that's what we're going to teach you as well. You're going to dress appropriately. You're going to see the impact of dressing properly in real life. You're going to feel it. And you're then also going to notice it in your meetings online when you show up in style. If you show up in a proper shirt, if you are well-groomed, then people will treat you very differently. And, you know, the dress code itself is already a powerful tool when you make value propositions, when you intend to take big risks, like when I'm building the board for our blockchain fund, you have to look the part. There's just no way around it. If you don't look professional, if you don't sound professional, then these guys are not going to do business with, do business with you. The big upside here is you can also twist it to your advantage where if you dress more professionally than someone with 50 years of experience who had an immense amount of success in their lives, they are going to be on their back foot and now they're going to scramble to qualify for them to be a part of what you're building. So, and this is something which I learned from Dan Pena. So, you know, a lot of these lessons, I paid a lot of money for to learn them and to understand how to best use them. And you guys are going to get access to this and it's going to be a super, super interesting event. And I'm very much looking forward to that. And now without further ado, we're going to go back into the VVV Academy lessons. I don't remember where we have uh, left off, but I'm sure Christian does. And <laughs> for anyone who hasn't noticed yet, the lesson number nine is live in the Academy as well. So anyone who makes it to lesson eight and completes the lesson, they will now also have access to lesson nine. And without promising too much, lesson nine by far is the best lesson which we had yet. It's one of my favorite movies and it's one of my favorite idols and it's a very important, you know, it, it almost like, you know, it is almost a, you know, a little bit, um, you know, it re reminds you almost a little bit of FTX, you know, when there's handshake deals and when someone is ruthless and, you know, if someone gets um, taken advantage of, it's something which, you know, is a good lesson to learn. And I, I've spent a lot of time in, in writing up the lessons and making them applicable to your personal lives. And I think it's going to be a tremendous value to go through it and to learn more about the uh, intricacies of personal relationships and business and confidence and, and status. And now, Christian, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, I just want to um, say going through um, the movie in that lesson, not to jump ahead because I know we'll get there, but I'm I'm super excited to uh, discuss that one on um, an alpha hour because it, it really felt like the other lessons that we've been learning, you've kind of been stepping us through a little bit, you know, holding our hand a little bit and, and it being sort of one dimension or maybe two dimensions watching that movie was like, okay, now we're talking about real life and really what people face in business and all of the different uh, aspects that are going on in, uh, in Ray's life and the McDonald's brothers lives. I, I'm, I'm super excited to, to dig into that one. Cause I think we could probably spend two or three uh, alpha hours on, on that individually. Um, so where we left off last time was actually uh, we had just 
just about finished the Steve Ballmer uh, assignment. I had one additional question, which uh, you can choose, Sean, whether you want to dig into it or wait until we get to the Apple lesson, which isn't the next one. Um, but for those of you who haven't gotten there or weren't on uh, last week, Steve Ballmer, um, CEO of Microsoft, and uh, he gave a speech in front of Harvard about what it takes to succeed, what it was like uh, to really wrestle a, a brand new uh, enterprise industry and, and to run it. And one of the, the big things that came out of it was that when he started, just like several of the, the folks that Sean has shared with us, he wasn't any great expert at, at business. He, he certainly was no computer expert, but he had the right attitude. He had the right personality traits, uh, great energy, uh, a hardcore attitude, a, an alpha sort of take charge attitude of, of you know, I'm going to learn on the job. I'm going to do whatever it takes to succeed. Um, and again, not to jump too far ahead, but this idea of uh, perseverance and determination that keeps coming out as, as these essential traits to, uh, to be successful in, in business and, and in life and in so many other areas. I did have one question at the end of it that I, that I wrote down because um, we talk about Microsoft and, and what a big success it was. And then later we get to uh, the success of, of Apple and Steve Jobs, um, which we'll, we'll get to um, later. But I wondered, Sean, if you had any opinion as to why with the dominance, the absolute dominance of what Microsoft was, why Apple was uh, able to overtake it again once Steve Jobs rejoined um, the company. Any sort of broad strokes without diving into the, the Steve Jobs homework that you would share about why you felt they were able to, even without such an advantage, kind of re reset things to where really Apple is in the driver's seat now, I would say, with, with most technology that is not, um, even businesses really are starting to use mostly Apple. So just wonder if you had an opinion about that. Objectively speaking, I think Steve Jobs is a, is a better leader than Bill Gates. And I also think that Steve Jobs has more love for what he does and more love to make the product perfect. And if you, and I have to be careful with what I'm saying, but if you look at how, look at different interviews of Steve Jobs and of Bill Gates, for example, and study their body language, it's very, very easy to see who is more confident and who is more mature. And usually the, the one who's more confident and more mature is going to be the one who's going to outperform the other one. Yeah, it was, it was fascinating to me in, in having um, read some things and, and seen some interviews with Bill Gates and then also seeing the lesson on, on Steve Jobs. You also, in my opinion, get an impression of sort of that visionary uh, idea from Steve Jobs that you don't necessarily get from Bill Gates, at least in my opinion. It, it was very much 
Bill Gates was more iterative. You know, I can take this and make it a little better. Whereas uh, Steve Jobs had almost that like Walt Disney sort of, I want to, I want to impress. I want to take the next major leap. I want to make absolute change. And you, you see, I think a lot of reticence um, in the way Microsoft has, has run its business in, in make taking big risks and, and making big changes. I, I saw a really interesting outline also of their um, business structure, which showed that it was, uh, and again, we'll get to it in Apple uh, when we get there, but that it was very much a traditional business structure that was very overburdened with, with bureaucracy and, and um, not as, as lean. And, you know, I think I don't want to, you know, I don't want to discredit uh, Bill Gates because I think he has, he actually has been a visionary when he was younger, but I think somewhere down the line, he, he lost I don't know how to say it properly without getting into topics which will get us cancelled right away. But I think he, he lost his, uh, you know, I think he lost the focus and drifted into something which is not, which is not good or healthy. And a lot of this comes back to the topic of being mature. And if you study psychology and if you look at the gestures which Bill Gates uses when he talks about certain topics, you can see that he has certain character traits, and I can I can specify them, but I, I don't specify them on purpose because I don't want to, you know, to do this on on, on our uh, fans brand channel. But you can spot traits which are not good, and you you don't see those same things in in, in Steve Jobs. Okay, awesome. Well, um, thank you for that, that little uh, side question. It, it it just fascinated me when I when I thought about it. Um, so, and I'm not I'm net... not you know okay. I'm not going to keep like being as vague in, in all of my my statements. We're going to I'm going to open up the, my my personal Twitter Spaces events very soon, and then I'm going to do a full deep dive into all the things which I can't talk about here. I just have to be sure that we keep it very separated with what the VVV brand is and, and the things I talk about because I don't want to, you know, blur the lines and, and get um, politically incorrect on behalf of the VVV brand. That, that's not the right channel to do so. Yeah, that, that makes absolute sense and um, look forward to, to hearing those too um, on your channel. So um, I uh, the next lesson that... Uh, we really dive into is Neutron Jack or Jack Welch. Um, for those of you who haven't gotten to that lesson, it's it's a very impressive lesson from the standpoint of Jack's approach even to how um, capitalism works, how large corporations work. No one had really um, done things the way that he chose to do them. Um, I don't know that uh, ruthless would be the right word, but he certainly was very pragmatic in the way that he approached um, staffing. Uh, and, and he was someone that a lot of leaders after him that folks talk about in, in the way they led, the way they structured their companies, and um, the way that they approached uh, the 
the treatment of employees and how to define their core value and, and remain successful in, in quickly changing markets. Um, they, a lot of folks look back to Jack Welch as kind of the father of that change in the way that um, corporations would run, even very large corporations. Um, the structure of the homework is one of quotes and, and uh, little stories about things that um, Jack Welch did in his structuring of, of GE. Um, some of those things that you'll see in the homework are that he really uh, benefited the most productive employees uh, largely, but also fired or, um, or got rid of the bottom uh, 20% of employees that were not performing. Um, and one of the things that it really impressed upon me was um, we still have, so I, I work in obviously the, uh, the academic medical uh, field and many businesses, many institutions still work that old way and have all of that, the, the sludge and, and the drag that Jack Welch was able to fix in uh, GE by getting rid of a lot of bureaucracy, by getting rid of a lot of committees, by leading in a very direct way. And so when when you see that homework, um, I, I think you'll very much be impressed. And for those of you who have already done it, uh, I'm, I know it's, it's incredibly uh, inspiring to see that you can make this major change and do it in a way that redefines the, the whole way that um, the business work. And that actually leads to um, my first uh, question, Sean, is they called, depending on who you're talking to and uh, looking for other sources online, there are those who either call Jack Welch the father of new capitalism, or they call him the man who broke capitalism. Um, why, why the disconnect? Um, how do you see it? And what what do you think he he broke or fixed um, with how capitalism was working previous to how he structured his company? Well, the world is soft. So as soon as you do something which is ruthless, you're going to hear an uproar of everyone complaining. And you cannot even imagine the amount of bad press which he had when he let all those people go, right? But it's the exact same with Elon Musk. And you really have to ask yourself if people of that caliber implement such drastic decisions and afterwards the, com the, the company starts to soar, you know, how would you go ahead and try to prove them wrong if the facts are 100% against you? If they turn an entire company around and make it 10 times more successful, like how could you possibly even contemplate trying to make them wrong? Of course, you can start talking about the people and you know their feelings and they lost their jobs and what about their families. But everyone is responsible for themselves. And if you get fired from Twitter, there was a reason why you got fired. The top 10 performers never lose their jobs. So just become irreplaceable for the company and you will be fine. If you're just the average Joe hanging on and not doing the best job and not doing you know the best they could, then 
course you're going to lose your job, but that's the way it should be because no one should be pushed into a position where they don't have to be on time. They don't have to work as hard as they, as the others. And, you know, you can just be baggage to the company. I, you know, I have a, a very similar mindset when it comes to efficiencies. I think if you run a company, you run the company for your top employees and for your clients. And as soon as you start to let, or as soon as you start to drag people along, people who do not contribute as much to the company as they could, or people who potentially even hold the company back, now you're doing a disservice to your top employees and you're doing a disservice to your customers because your customers or your clients, they pay for everyone in the company. One way or the other, they are going to pay for every single person in your company. And as soon as you start dragging people along, those guys are going to pay for them. And the same with your top employees. They perform, and it's the 80-20 rule. And, and that rule applies always. No, no matter, like even after you cut off, cut off most of the employees, the 80-20 rule always applies. And the 80-20 rule says 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And it should be your mission to get rid of that ratio uh, as much as possible, to shift it to 30, 70, 40, 50, uh, 40, 60, and, and so on. But the, the average rule is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, which then means if, if you accept that as the status quo, that means those 20% of people should also receive most of the money but usually that's not how it, how it works. You know, you, you pay like a, a, a relatively equal salary amongst the entire 100%. And in reality, what you should be doing is if the work is, uh, if the work and the results are split 2080, then the same thing should go for the salaries. And the only way to get close to that is to try to change the ratio, which, which is impossible because it's a paradox, but still try to make your company as efficient as possible, try to reward the 20% as much as possible, try to protect them as much as possible, and try to get rid of the 80% and strive for the highest degree of excellence in your company because that's what your employees deserve and that's what your clients deserve. And an environment where all of the employees are striving, where everyone is motivated, now you can actually go ahead and change the world a company where 80% of the people don't do anything, that's not going to be something which is going to accumulate enough momentum or enough resources to actually do something of substance. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I, I think it's definitely something that um, we see uh, reverberations of in, um, in VVV and other successful companies like um, Apple that we'll talk about another week um, that, you know, that, that sense of, of fairness of, um, uh, of having it be merit uh, based rather than, um, you know, sort of a, a corporate welfare state where it's just, you're trying to keep everybody happy. Um, I do wonder how much pressure though that puts on, the leader, because it, it seems like in, in some ways, of course, it makes it more efficient, but it seems like 
models like neutron jacks, models like Apple's, puts a lot of pressure on the core leader, the CEO, to be available. Um, do you find that it's it's a more difficult company to run? And and if so, um, of course. how do you balance that with responsibilities that you have? Yeah, of course, it's it's always more difficult to do what's necessary than to do what everyone wants you to do. Because like no one, no one likes change and no one likes to make difficult decisions. So it's always going to be easier to go the easy path. And that's why most people and most companies are crooked and corrupted because they just go the easy way at some point. And the, the pressure, which you just mentioned, relates to what I have discussed earlier, where if you do not have an iron mind, if you do not have gone through, or if you didn't go through a lot of hardship in your life, then that pressure is going to bend you as a person and it's going to make you crooked. And that's what's happening if that's what's happening when weak men are in power. They are either corrupted by the power or they are being corrupted by what money can buy or they are being corrupted by someone else providing them with things which they normally, being the weak person they really are, don't have access to. And one of those things can be women. There's many, many people in power who have been corrupted by women in the past. And, and I, don't mean this, I don't mean that those women have bad intentions. I mean, someone else uses a woman as leverage to get something out of someone else or, you know, to lure someone into something or, you know, sometimes it is indeed women taking advantage of someone weak who holds a lot of power or, or who has a lot of money. So as a rule of thumb, I wouldn't trust anyone who can't talk to a woman without getting sweaty hands. And I wouldn't trust anyone who doesn't have their money right. And I wouldn't trust anyone who didn't have any hardship in their life, who had an easy upbringing, because all those three different realms are going to be an easy target for anyone who wants to corrupt the person. And even if, you know, even if it's not a third party, the having power in itself corrupts most people very quickly. And in order for, for a leader to be capable to endure the pressure and also the temptation of what power or money can buy or get you, that's going to be, you know, that's going to re require a, an iron mind, which very few people have. Yeah, and I, th I think this style really uh, of leadership really brings out the importance, like you've said in, in other um, alpha hours, of that value set, especially something that is as central to the core leader as, um, as Jack's structure or uh, Steve Jobs' structure. And, and I know you've talked before on, on what that core should look like, um, but I know it's, it's a difficult balance not being Machiavellian, but also being very comfortable with succeeding and, not looking back and not feeling unnecessary guilt in your own success. Can you walk us through a little bit of how you 
balance your core values or and and what those are along with doing what you have to do to succeed in in a business making tough decisions that folks are not always going to like even maybe uh team members that are close to you um how how do you how do you balance your core values with what needs to be done to to succeed in a in a rough world i guess i would say well i'm going to tell you a secret there's no balance if you choose to be a leader then you have to be masochistic to a certain degree you have to be a psychopath to a certain degree you have to be an absolute workaholic and you have to have utmost integrity and you never ever under any circumstances ever can compromise in any realm under any circumstances and that there's no balance to that like i have values i know where to go i do exactly what's necessary 100% of the time there's there's no there's no left or right there's just one way to go and there's no distractions i know exactly what to do i know exactly when to do it i know exactly how to do it and um the values are clear the decisions are clear and there's no compromise and i don't care how much i like you if i have to cut off your head for the greater good of the company i'm going to do it and i'm not saying that i'm going to feel nothing while doing so but if you have gone through enough hardship you know it's not going to bother you as much and and it's true it's going to make you like it's not going to make you cold per se but it's you know it requires you to be cold hearted to a certain degree in order for you to be able to make the tough decisions exactly when they are necessary because many people can make the tough decision but they need a lot of time to ponder to find reasoning to justify what they are about to do and they need to find some logical reasons to you know to actually go through with it and the people who have the most success in life are the ones who just act and don't overthink and they intrinsically and instinctively know exactly what they need to do and they don't ask themselves why they just do and that's one of the things which you can very very easily observe in Nick Bellotelli of the previous lessons where most of the time you know most of the decisions he doesn't even remember and he doesn't remember because he just acts and to him it's not something where he like where he consciously had to think about making the decision and that's the you know that's the proper way to do it and i don't say i don't think about any of the decisions i'm making but usually before i even start thinking about what to do i already know what to do just instinctively and from my gut feeling and my my gut feeling has never ever been wrong about any of the decisions or any of the people i work with like it, it has always been on point and this is something where and and women are better at this than men so women have much better instinct than men and you will notice this uh, when you have a wife or a girlfriend and you have certain challenges in your business or uh, in your business life they usually have a feeling about something already you know maybe they tell you hmm, i'm not sure if you can trust the guy and usually they are right so women have a much much better sense when it comes to the instinct and, and, and uh, you know feeling things and as a man that's something where 
you, you might have a more difficult time to learn how to use that. And it might also be more uncomfortable to actually go ahead and trust your gut feeling because it's something which is going to inevitably lead you into making difficult decisions because your conscious mind is also going to be steered toward the easier decisions. Do you feel that ethics um, and values are similar? Are they different? And is what do you look for in employees as far as like the values or, or the traits that you're looking for um, in similar to Jack and, and kind of picking that top 20%? What are, what are you hoping to see um, in, in your company and in, in the people that, that work for you? Well, different positions require different values or skill sets which a person needs to have. Generally speaking, for the VV, VVV brand as a whole, I'm looking for people who have integrity, who don't lie, and who do as they say. And usually I don't have to look for someone actively because they just naturally rise to the top through our community. And you can see the, the people who we currently have on, uh, you know, as part of the extended team on more or less trial periods, all of these guys, you know, have been chosen either by me or by our team members, more or less, um, you know, in, 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 in less than two minutes, because it was very obvious that how they present themselves in, in the server and the, the way they have um, carried themselves and, you know, the, the actions they have taken over the course of the past couple of weeks makes it very easy to judge their character and, and to entrust them with certain power of decision-making. And, you know, usually it's just people where their values align. And the ethics, I think ethics, you know, might be slightly different. I don't need someone, depending on the position, obviously, I don't need someone necessarily to be ethical, uh, ethically, uh, in all realms of their life, if someone has limited power of decision making, then they also don't need to qualify for that position in, in other things outside of the decisions where they, which they can make. Ideally, obviously, you always have people who have all all the same values and the exact perfect character traits for for, for everything. But it's, the reality of that is that you cannot expect the same level of commitment or the, the same qualifications from everyone else as of yourself. And I don't expect every single other person to be, to have the same amount of integrity, to truly never ever get tempted, no matter how much money is at stake. Uh, I know better than that. I know that most people have a certain degree to which they cannot be corrupted, but then beyond that, they are, they are very open to you know, to at least contemplate or consider other avenues. And the, the solution is to give people as much authority and as much power as they can handle. And then, you know, if, if you can very appropriately charge that, then it's, much, it's pretty, pretty easy to set up a system which cannot fail. Because right now, to give you a tangible example, no one of the team members has permissions to kill the project. And the reason why it's set up this way is because um, the only person who I know for sure 
small effect is not going to do anything stupid. You know, that's going to be me. So, uh, you know, as a result, the only person who can delete the server, for example, that's just me because I know I'm not going to do it, right? And, um, you know, the, the same with uh, the research institute, for example, the only person who can um, shut it down is Andy. But I also know that it's Andy's baby and he, he actually, you know, he absolutely loves it. And I also know that he needs the authority to be in a position where he cares enough personally to actually dedicate the time to him, uh, to it. So for the Institute, for example, I, I, I'm pretty sure I have the permissions. I don't know for sure, but I, I wouldn't even want the permissions to have like ownership of the material or the platform as a whole, because it's, you know, Andy has built it and all the credit belongs to Andy. And, um, you know, I trust him enough to not just leave together with the Institute, but I also don't want him to be chained with the Institute to VVV because I still want to be in a position where I have to provide enough reasons and enough value to him to stay. And I think those synergistic relationships are the ones who eventually also provide the most value to the people using the platform themselves because you know if it's on mutual terms and both parties do the best they can then that's where you actually have the most value it's not where one person gets chained to something and then you know the other person doesn't have to care as much anymore yeah and i actually um that kind of leads to the next uh idea that I, I wanted to get your insight in because I think uh, just like you said there's a certain amount of um, if if you build it they will they will come right if you establish a certain culture uh, establish certain sets of expectations uh, establish uh, the the ability to rise with hard work and with determination and uh, with dedication to those core values you tend to have people that approach that and, and are happy to be tested and, and want to work harder to achieve. Um, okay, let me just, all... before, you, go before you go into the next thing, so a high performer is not going to join a low performing company. So you need to have a super competitive environment for someone even to be willing to join who is very competitive in their nature. And it's only competitive people who actually bring the company forward. So you have to have an environment which is actually harsh and ruthless and professional and competitive because these are the guys who actually make the company successful. So, you know, just what you said, you, you, you know, you get what you put in, right? If you curate a culture which is cutthroat and competitive, then that's the kind of people you're going to attract. And then that's inevitably the kind of culture which is going to perform the best. And you know, it might not be the most airy-fairy and happy culture all of the time, but for the results, for the stakeholders and for the community, for our partners, that's the only way, only way to do it. And the guys who are of that nature, the people who are in fact sharks, they are super happy in that environment because it's it's extremely fulfilling to be held accountable, but also to be surrounded by people who do what they say. Like if you are a person who always does what they say, then you don't want to be surrounded by people who promise you something and then they never do it. 
like that's not going to work out well. Uh, absolutely, I, and uh, I know I can uh, speak for me, but uh, in several other, many other people that I've spoken to, both um, uh, in just general chat as well as uh, reading the answers to the academy questions, you can tell how meaningful it is to um, so many people, even on the team, to have other folks that hold them themselves to a high standard that are constantly trying to do more and do better and, um, and, and compete against themselves and against others to be the best they can be. Uh, and, and it is an incredibly invigorating environment to feel like you're constantly growing, constantly pushing each other and, and sharpening each other and, and, and getting, getting better, learning more, um, and, and really realizing full potential. I'd, I did want to ask, um, related to Jack, uh, you know, cutting the bottom 20% of employees, uh, related to the early days of VVV with the necessity of the purges, do you feel like that, that process is something where that bar really only has to be set once and then the culture basically is built around this idea of achievement and meritocracy? Or do you think that this is something that has to be, there has to be an ongoing threat of, um, of a purge or, or of being removed to make sure that you don't collect uh, the wrong sort of employee or the wrong sort of member? Because I know that that is a, something that we've talked about in the past too. And, and I think your, your thoughts around that are, are fascinating. You have to set it up once and then it's, probably going to last a relatively long time if you have done it in a really good way but eventually it's always going to be corrupted unless you make sure that it stays on track it's the, the same reason why there's no empire which lasts more than 100 years even if you are the best leader on the planet after you die it, it's probably it's only going to take one or two generations before the empire falls apart so with VVV and with the purchase initially, it was extremely, extremely important that we did it this way. It was the only way to curate the right culture on the server and to have those high-performing and um, strong-minded individuals in an environment where they feel comfortable in. Where, you know, now, for example, if you go into our channel chat and if you scroll up a bit, people have been talking about stakes probably for an hour and it's super fun to be in that environment and and to you know to talk about that it's just you know messing around with your friends but then if you have a bunch of vegans which we wouldn't have kicked out and i don't say that was the case you know i'm just making a stupid example now now we talk for an hour about steaks now if you have a bunch of vegans in your server they are going to start to complain what about the cows they kill them for your steaks and it's not good and then you have environmentalists to tell you oh, it's bad for the planet, don't eat meat. And now the entire conversation, which was super fun and enjoyable, now becomes horrible and no one likes to be in the servant, even talk about uh, mundane things just for the sake of having some, some fun, right? So not doing it, and I don't say, you know, the ones eating meat are better than the ones who are vegan or whatever. I'm just saying that, you know, if you want to have an enjoyable environment, you know, you probably are better off curating people who share a certain 
same points of views or certain same core values. And the way we did it was extremely painful, you know, for, for like the 60% of people which we kicked out. And then also for me, because of the aftermath, which we had, which we had, especially after our launch went very well. And, you know, there was a lot of money being accumulated in the NFTs themselves. But it was extremely, extremely important to do it um, for the brand as a whole. Because what you want to eventually have is positive peer pressure, where normally peer pressure is something which has negative connotations. And just like, and again, I'm just going to use stupid examples just for the sake of making it easy to understand. Just like your friends pressure you into drinking alcohol, or just like they pressure you into smoking weed or doing drugs, the same thing can work for pressuring people into reading books, improving themselves, getting exposed to educational material, getting exposed to things which improve your self-confidence and your self-esteem and which broaden your horizon. It works the other way around as well. And just like the negative peer pressure can completely spiral someone's life, uh, can completely, I don't know what the saying is, can completely ruin someone's life. The exact same thing works the other way around where if you put yourself into that environment where you're surrounded by positive peer pressure, it can actually make your life infinitely better. And then you look back and you, you think, okay, thank God I had these guys around me because they pushed me to realize my full potential and not just be happy with where I am or worse, even pull me down. And I have, I even have the, I, it sounds stupid, but I'm still going to say it this way. Even I have people like that in my life who put pressure on me to perform better, to expose myself to things which make me uncomfortable, to things which I'm where. I'm not the expert in or, you know, things which I, where I'm not as good as I would like to be and they make me do them. And that's the way I continuously grow and where I, through them, hold myself accountable to become a better and better leader. And uh, this really is probably the most important aspect where you always want to be surrounded by people who expect you to be even better than as good as you are today and that, that's that's probably the best friends you could wish for you don't want to you don't want to have friends around you you know and, and you know most of you probably had the that experience in your own life either with friends or with relatives where you you discover something new maybe you change your diet maybe you start something maybe you start dressing differently Maybe you start behaving differently. And then someone of your friends or someone close to you says, oh man, hey, you have changed. What happened? You, you know, uh, in the past you've been like this and now you're like this. Why did you change? And you know, these are all people who are, who are holding you back. Like most of the time they, they complain about things where first of all, it's none of their business. And, and second of all, it's usually things which you thought are going to have a positive impact on your life. And now imagine you're being surrounded by people who say, Hey man, it's so great. It's so great that you started doing this. It, it, you know, it, it's super good to see you, you make continuous improvements. Like, you know, once the 
the people around you change, your entire reality of life is going to change. And that's also going to be part of the, the in real life event. As, um, and I haven't ever heard that thing being covered by anyone else, but it's also going to be cutting off people in your life and simultaneously curating the right people around you and making sure that you get rid of the ones who hold you back and that you surround yourself with the ones who lift you up. And that's going to make a tremendous difference in your life. And I can promise you it's going to make your life infinitely better. And you look back in one year, in two years, in 10 years, and you probably can't even fathom how you were comfortable being surrounded by a bunch of idiots who are holding you back. Yeah, I think that's such a, a huge, important um, lesson that, that really reverberates through so many of the homeworks is is what it takes to not just succeed, but like you've talked about in, in previous Alpha Hours, what it takes to protect that success, what it takes to continue to add to that and, and to grow so that when you realize success, you're able to maintain it, to protect it, uh, to to become even better each next day and and we've talked about today uh, and and other days what it takes to make yourself better and then the types of things that can adversely affect the individual we've talked a little bit about what it takes to protect the core of the company and the integrity of uh, the employees and the structure one of the things that Jack, I know, is really known for, um, and, and this was talked about in the lesson and also uh, in, a, in a book that I was exposed to called Good to Great, is that he was very good at looking externally and learning lessons from others. And I know you've, you've preached on this, too, is you don't have to learn the lesson yourself. If you can see that someone else failed from that, <laughs> you can take it from them. You don't have to make the same mistake. I, I wonder what types of, you've shared with us a lot about your vision for VVV. What types of threats do you see um, for VVV, um, both in the, in the short term or, or, and long term, that you're looking out for, um, even in generality, if, if you want to share it that way? But what sorts of things are, are you looking to guard as, as the leader, as the CEO, to make sure that you reach the vision that we reach the vision that, um, that, that you've built. No, there are down no threats to VVV. It's as simple as that. I know exactly what to look out for and I know exactly what's needed. There, there are no threats to VVV because the only guy who can potentially kill the project is always the leader in being um, corrupted or becoming too arrogant. And Obviously, I sound very arrogant now saying that there are no threats, but I, I'm aware of it at least, right? So, you know, I'm, and this is, this goes, you know, it, it, it's as simple as the way people address me, for example. You know, I don't want to be addressed in any special way. You know, people sometimes, they, they send me a DM and they, they say, hey, boss, blah, blah, blah. And I don't want, don't call me boss. You know, it doesn't make any sense. I'm exactly the same guy as you are. There, there's no difference between me and any of our members it's and it's to me it's already a red flag if the guy founding the project 
takes the most rare NFT for himself. Like, that's not the way to do it. You have to be super humble, but also extremely confident. And, you know, it might seem like it's conflicting, but you, you have to have the utmost conviction that you succeed 100% of the time, but you also have to be humble enough where that success and that confidence is not going to make you arrogant or ignorant. And there's easy ways to, you know, see in a leader where, when it's going wrong. But coming back to answer your question, there are no threats to VVV because I'm extremely capable and I know what to do and I know what's best for the brand and I'm not going to get pressured by the community to do a certain thing. Obviously, I'm always there to listen. I'm always open to adjust things as needed for the sake of keeping the community happy and to make sure that like, you know, the, the sentiment always stays positive. But there's going to be difficult decisions at some point and the community is not going to want to make that decision and I'm still going to go through with it just because I have the, the long-term plan and I have the long-term vision and I know what's best for VVV as a whole. And I also know that many times you have to make a hard decision today and then in a few months people are going to look back and then they, they tell you, hey, I know at this point I really didn't like what you wanted to do, but now looking back, I know for sure it was the better decision for VVV. And that, that's really the, the biggest strength which I have is that, you know, I'm not concerned with what other people think in the slightest. I know exactly, um, you know, what's needed. And it's not needed for my personal success or whatever. It's needed for the greater good of the community. And, and I have to underline this one more time. VVV is truly built for the community. And yes, I get off on the brand being super successful and I also like making money with what we do, but I can make more money somewhere else. It's like the money is not the, the motivator for me. For me, it's really doing something where there's an infinite amount of opportunities to do the wrong thing and going into the space and knowing already that I will never ever deviate from doing the right thing and also knowing for sure that no one else has that same integrity and mindset and that everyone else is going to get corrupted at some point in time and then we're going to be the last one standing we're going to have the most successful community the most successful venture capital brand the most successful blockchain fund and then we are going to dominate the space and winning and dominating and succeeding that's exactly like what fulfills me personally so everyone wins and that's pretty much the, the way i see things now, to give you some tangible answer, not some, some just a rant, um, one thing which I'm looking out for is for the brand itself not to be dependent on me. I am needed for driving and steering the, the project as a whole, but I cannot be dependent, uh, the, the project itself cannot be dependent on me being in the trenches in each single section of the brand as a whole, meaning there are certain, certain things where VVV has to become self-sufficient, sometimes very quickly and sometimes over time. And 
A good example is the VVV Academy. I can provide the lessons, but I can't be the one who is doing the mentoring and who's going through all of the homework. Another example is the Research Institute, where I can be the one who does the AMAs of the projects, but I cannot be the one being out there looking for new leads, doing the research, and being involved in all the different steps of the research. Ideally, for the research part, I'm not involved at all at some point, and it's just going to be Andy or someone else of the research team leading everything. And I'm just the very last instance where I give the okay to go ahead with the investment based on um, the data I have at that point and, and based on my, um, my instinct. And, um, you know, that's what you also see today or what, what maybe the team has also noticed internally that uh, if you look at um, some of the posts and court, for example, a lot of the announcements of, of granting people the shark whitelist role was done by some of our extended team members. And the decisions to, to give the roles away have also been made to a certain extent by our extended team members. And that's what you will see going forward. I'm going to give more and more responsibility to the uh, to certain team members. I'm also going to shift the ownership of the NFT collection to the community without you know, without giving away too many insights, but there's going to be a shift in ownership of the uh, NFT collection to a certain degree, and that's going to be become more pronounced in the next couple of weeks and months and also years going forward. Um, VVV as a whole is prob probably never going to be decentralized per se, because I think the most efficient way to run a business is with one person in charge who has utmost integrity, but there are certain aspects of the, you know, the brand or the, the, the business as a whole, which are better off being completely trustless, um, you know, just for the, the sake of, um, you know, potential hacks or you know, there's a plethora of um, things which even I don't have any control over. So certain things are better off being made trustless also for the sake of, uh, and you know, I'm still surprised that this topic has come up in our server and I've literally never ever heard this come up anywhere else. So, you know, I think people have a lot of expectations of VVB lasting a very long time. So the topic I'm talking about is uh, contingency plans if I die, for example, and I've never seen someone like I've never seen this come up in any other server. Like, what happens if you die? So you know, people expect already make plans for staking of ten and twenty years, it seems. But there are so already maybe I can just cover the question now that I touched on it. So there's already contingency plans in place where none of the uh, amounts which have been invested, none of the softs or whatever <clears throat> go lost and none of the tokens go lost. There are contingency plans in place with the notary in Germany where um, someone I trust then only when I die gets access um, to, to the wallets and so on and then they will be able to uh, continue to distribute the tokens, for example. But um, to come back to the, the point which I wanted to make, going forward, the aspect of making things trustless is also a safety mechanism that, uh, you know, if something ever happens, that everything is in place for VVV to either be handed over to someone else or to at least run for the necessary amount of time for the logistics to be handled. 
automatically and in a trustless fashion for you know no one to have any losses or for everyone to receive all the profits and all the value despite me being there or not which is obviously you know not as a not the most enjoyable topic to talk about but still you know you have to think about it and you have to have certain plans for it in place as well and you have to be professional and you have to re really think about everything and anything which could potentially ever go wrong and christian um i think we have to call it a day because i have to go but it has yes, been sir. an absolute pleasure as always i want to thank you very much for joining us every single week you you're really doing an absolutely incredible service to vvv and also to me and you're doing absolutely amazing work in the academy i i always check out you know whenever i have time i check out the, the replies of you and leon and of rye guy which you provide the community with and which you provide our students with and you know everyone can be extremely extremely appreciative that the mentoring is such an active part of vvv and i think the academy is going to be doing a lot of big and great things in the future thank you so much yeah thank you christian and thank you guys for listening in as always it's always a pleasure to do these events i'm probably going to start um next week doing two events per week so we're going to have uh, the alpha hour as usual but we're also going to have the event on, under my personal account which is then going to be unfiltered content more focused on psychology and uh, the mental and health aspect and then we are going to have the research team calls continued and we will see ideally uh, we arrange those research team calls without me where you, you can just get insights into the research team and then you know maybe Andy leads them and provides the community with updates from his point of view and lets the other researchers um, chime in as well. So with that being said, thank you guys. If you have the shark whitelist role, be sure to get ready for tomorrow and be on time because it's probably going to be a tough race, maybe even a bloodbath when all the sharks fight for the remaining NFTs. And otherwise, I'm going to talk to you guys again on Sunday. Thank you very much, and I talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy, or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.